Good morning. Feels good, doesn't it? When we were worshipping, I felt this nudge, and I've often learned to pay attention to the nudges. Sometimes God speaks, and it's big and bold, and sometimes it's a, it's a nudge. And I heard one of those nudges, and often it's God. I felt God say that there's, there's two people, maybe more. Now, I don't know if they're in the room or if they're online. Uh, and for one of these people, they're suffering the complete opposite of freedom. They're feeling restraint. And it may be restraint in circumstance, maybe financial, maybe in a relationship. When Jesus walks in, he announces himself with freedom for the captives. And when he did this at the beginning of Luke's gospel, he's echoing this ancient prophecy that that's what Jesus is going to do. If you are feeling restraint and the opposite of freedom, then Jesus is is the answer. And I want you to pray that you would receive what he has for you. And then for someone else, uh, the word joy was in one of the lyrics. And I felt someone who saw that said, I don't know what that's like. Sometimes we think of joy as an emotion, a feeling. Something happens that's good and you feel joy. It's, it's not just a, a, an emotion or a feeling or a positive approach, but it's a person. It's Jesus. And I want to say to you, if you aren't feeling joy, then Jesus is the answer for you. And I'd like to pray for those people later somehow as we do at this time. But today, where are we going to go? Jesus is. Introduced this series last week, Jesus is. And we're going to explore different elements. Jesus is both accessible but yet mysterious. And we know some things, and there's other things. Even now I'm reading the scripture, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. I love that. I love that we haven't got all the answers, but there's so much more to find out. Walter Wink, Bible scholar, said this, if Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. I like that. If Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. Today, I want to look at an element of Jesus teaching that sometimes we've not given as much attention to. Understandably, we've given attention to the cross and the story and the means of which we are saved and reunited with God. And that's good. But I want to look at the life of Jesus before the cross. What was he doing? What was he saying? And how does it relate to us today? Let me start with a story. Next door to this building, number 195 Tory Street, we as a church have this building, this facility. And last year, we converted the downstairs to make it into some office spaces and meeting rooms, and upstairs is an apartment. Now, as I've learned in other building projects, when you start something, you find other things. Last year, we believed we had found everything that there was to find. Uh, This year, there was one remaining job that we wanted to do, where we were removing a wall to make a larger meeting space at the front. This was a fairly simple job. The wall wasn't load-bearing. But we couldn't find any paperwork for the property. We couldn't find any drawings, any 
evidence of any permits that had previously been pulled or any other work that happened in this building that was 100 years old. And it was a bit of a mystery hunt. Uh, I wanted to do it right, so we had somebody come in who had a look and did the measurements and was going to submit to pull the permits. And the look on the person's face when he said, wait a minute, there should be a wall here. Uh, What was uncovered was there wasn't a structural support in the place where there should have been. In fact, it wasn't just a few inches off, it was six feet off. Now, there was a clue in that the apartment upstairs, the floor's dipping down. And if you ever had a bowling ball or anything like that, it would have rolled very quickly into the middle. So this week, just to illustrate, I'll show you some pictures. This week, these beams arrived on Monday. And a great contractor called Jim had the task, while John and Rox were away this week, they live upstairs, they were away this week, two ceilings were removed, two temporary walls Uh, erected and structural support put in place to keep it standing for the next 100 years. This is why I tell the story. To have an understanding of the full structure, to have a healthy structure, to have a full understanding of the story of God that is expanded and demonstrated through the person of Jesus is good. Sometimes there's a danger that there's some parts of Scripture that we love that we read them, but there's other parts which we don't really give much attention to at all. So I love, and of course we will end always recognizing that it's the cross that makes it possible. And what Jesus achieved for us on Good Friday is key to our salvation. But I want to look at the story behind them. What did Jesus do before them? What was he saying? What was he teaching? And why does it matter to us today? This is what I want to look at. There's going to be lots of Bible passages. It's going to start big, and then it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller and narrower, and then it's going to land really personal. So that's the shape that we're going on today. So let me tell you some background. Jesus was born in a context of unrest, confusion, and tension. The atmosphere, the historical, the cultural context that Jesus was born into. There was unrest, and there was tension, and there was unease, and it was fragile. To give you some examples, Rome, the Roman Empire ruled, and they ruled because they had the most money and the biggest army and the most weapons. And because of that, they ruled, and they ruled fiercely. They ruled violently. They believed that their appointment to rule was divine. Caesar believed that it had been a God-given right, that he had somehow almost become divine in the way that he was elected to rule. Now, because he believed that he was divine, when he had a son, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus assumed that he was the son of God. Bear that in mind when you consider what Jesus is about to say and how he announces himself. So that was going on in Rome. Uh, Herod, who was appointed by Rome to kind of oversee the Jews, to keep them in order, the people that were waiting for this Messiah, the people that had these religious expressions, some of them were far too restrictive and they 
just were tying themselves up in rules. And Herod kind of oversaw some of these people. And sometimes some people interpreted him as this king of the Jews. Again, bear that language in mind when we get to Jesus' announcements. Rome used military force and wealth to control. And the religious leaders often kind of made agreements with Rome to retain their position of power and influence. It was corrupt. It was violent. It was unpredictable. And that was the world that Jesus was born into. With these kind of statements and assertions of son of God and king of the Jews and kingdom and empire. It was a kingdom both in the religious sense that brought Restraint and order that you must do this or else. And then in terms of military power, with Rome, who've got the most money, the most weapons, therefore they control, there was unrest and tension. And that was the context that Jesus was born into. Sometimes it's interesting to know this when you consider what Jesus said. Sometimes what Jesus said to us, we go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. But to say that in that context, that means something. Let me give you some examples. I'm going to put some passages on the screen. The first passage, Matthew 4, verse 17, says this. From the time when Jesus began to preach, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, walks on the scene and he says this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Matthew's gospel, he uses the term the kingdom of heaven. In the other gospels, he talks about the kingdom of God. Same thing. Mark 1, verse 5. Jesus said this at the beginning of his ministry. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. And then Luke 12. Do not be afraid. Everyone was afraid. Rome, religious rulers. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The reoccurring word that you keep seeing in these passages is kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Jesus is announcing another kingdom, a different way of doing things. This is where it's tense. He was doing that in a context where there was strong sense of kingdom announcement by Rome on one side and by the religious leaders on the other side. This is the way you do things This is the way you worship. This is how society is controlled and ordered. It's all kingdom, which means the rule and the reign. And Jesus' announcements, there's another kingdom. There's another way. And God is giving it to you. And it's here and it's now. In the context of the existing kingdoms. This was dangerous language. This was the language that led to some people saying, crucify him, and to others saying, I don't believe in him, and whipping him, and nailing him to a cross. It was because of the political unrest and the religious unrest of these kingdom announcements that Jesus was bringing and giving. I used the phrase at the beginning of the year. I think it was the first Sunday we gathered in the year. And I used the phrase that, for, that I am praying for a Jesus revolution. And I used that word. That word sums up what Jesus was doing in this moment. Revolution talks about an overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system. 
So in the kingdom of Rome or the kingdom of religious rule, and this is how you worship, Jesus' words and language, he's bringing about a revolution and it's different to what they've seen or expected. Jesus spoke more on the subject of kingdom than any other subject. There are over 100 references in the four Gospels. References, stories, teachings, parables, sermons, kingdom, 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 kingdom. What does this mean? And where was he going with it? Let's consider. Let's go back to go forward. Uh, We'll put this passage on the screen. 1 Samuel 8 verse 4 to 8. The background of this passage and the background of this story is, as we see in the beginning of the Bible, God created men and women in his image to be in relationship. And God was the centerpiece. And then we get to this story. All the elders of Israel, which is the people of God at the time, gathered together and came to Samuel, who was this wise prophet, this person who heard from God and brought the voice of God to the people. And they said to him, you are old, your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. The original plan was that there would be this rule and reign of God and that God would be the king, the centerpiece. And there's this moment in in the people of God where they're looking around at the other societies, the other nations, the other institutions, and they're saying, why don't we just be like them? Why don't we just live in that kingdom with that rule and that order? And it may be one that's based on power and strength and weapons, or it may be one based on religious order. What happened in Jesus' day is happening way before in this one Samuel passage, and God... And I read this with real sorrow of tone. Is saying, they're rejecting me. It's a sad moment. It's not the end of the story, wonderfully. We read on that God is going to step in. And the way things were always meant to be, this better kingdom is going to come. And there is going to be this divine God that steps in. The Old Testament prophet Daniel spoke about this perhaps more than anyone, pointing to this moment where the Messiah, God in person, would step in. This son of man figure is the language that Daniel used. Son of mankind, the creator, the one, the perfect human would come and would bring about this kingdom shift and would be the king. In Daniel 7, we'll put this passage on the screens. Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14. Daniel, this prophet, wrote this. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was giving authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and all peoples of every language worshipped him. 
his dominion and everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We read that aware that Jesus is fulfilling that, but also Jesus is pointing to the final fulfillment of that. Written way earlier. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Which means the way lives are being lived. The way we're organizing ourselves. What are we doing with that? The son of man terminology that Daniel used was pointing to this perfect God in a human form figure. I said that Jesus used dangerous language with his kingdom announcements in the context of Rome and the religious leaders. Jesus then also used the Son of Man language to describe himself. There are more than 70 references in the New Testament where Jesus described himself as this. What does this mean? Jesus is bringing about a different kingdom, and it is a revolution. It's meant to be distinctly different. And when you announce that in the context of existing kingdoms, it can cause unease. Jesus was okay with that. When you announce yourself as the son of man, that's going to cause unease for the religious leaders who knew the story so far and had a framework of expectation of what it's going to look like. And Jesus is different to that. The way of Jesus is distinctly different. Son of man. This is how I want to bring it together. You can't have a kingdom without having a king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is restoring the way it was always meant to be, the kingdom of God. But you can't just talk about a better way of living. That's just nice ideas, which in itself is another kingdom. You can't have the kingdom of God without having Jesus, the king. He is fulfilling it all. Isaiah 52, let's put this on the screen. This short passage, 52 verse 7. No, we're not going to put that one on the screen. Let's put this one on. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 25 to 28. Before we get to that, let me introduce this passage. It's all well and good saying this, but some people just don't believe. Some people don't believe we need another kingdom. Some people don't believe we need a king. Some people didn't believe Jesus. Some people are saying, wait a minute, maybe, maybe it's evil that's enabling him to do some of the things that he's doing. Because they didn't understand. Jesus said this. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. It just won't work. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, but whom do you people drive them out so often? They will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God, and Jesus is using this small word if to say it is, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because when the kingdom of God comes, there's no room for evil or sickness when the kingdom of God comes, what is broken is restored. 
what is out of tune is aligned with the way it was meant to be. And it's not a social structure or of religious order or power and wealth and military might. It's a kingdom of God order, and it's a better way. So what does this mean for us today? What does this mean in your life, in my life, in this world, in 2021? And it's such a strange time in the world at the moment. I know people who are considerably advanced in years who are saying things like, we've never lived for a moment like this. It is a unique time. It is a perplexing time. It is an unpredictable time. This is what I believe this means for us. We were born into a context of unrest and empire and unpredictability where some nations and kingdoms believe that it's all about who's got the most power, weapons, and military. They can rule and they can force their order. Or there's others saying, no, it's a religious practice. You need to do this, 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 and this. And if you don't, you're on the wrong side of God. And if you do, you're on the right side. In some ways, our world doesn't look that different to the world that Jesus lived in. Thankfully, we don't have the threat of violence to the level that Jesus suffered with the Roman Empire. But unrest, unpredictability, with nations and rulers grasping for power because they want their kingdom, their order, and their social structure. Into that world and into this world, Jesus offers a better way, a different kingdom, which brings healing and hope, and life to the fullness in this life and the next one. But you can't have a kingdom without having a king. Everything that we do needs to be centered around Jesus. Everything that we do needs to be centered around Jesus. So what does it look like? It looks like love. And it looks like kindness. It looks like compassion. It looks like repentance. It looks like saying, God, I don't want to fit you into a box and follow me in my life. But it looks like us saying, God, I release my life to you and I want to follow you. And I want you to form and shape my life. It looks like letting go. And yet at the same time, receiving so much more. It's a different kingdom. It's a revolution. It's a considerable shift of the way life is organized. And it's a better way. Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus' kingdom announcement is as needed now as it's ever been before. But as I keep saying, you can't have a kingdom without having a king. My last passage, Matthew 24. Let's look at this. Verse 14, Jesus said this, and he's saying this to the end of the book of Matthew, and he's saying it to his followers, which was them and it's us. He said this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We 
are commissioned, encouraged, motivated, tasked, sent out to announce that the way this world is, the way your life is, is not the full story. And there's another way. And there's a better way. And there's a better rule. And there's a better kingdom. Yes, we tell the story in the means of salvation, but we tell a full story, which is the story that there is a better kingdom than the one that you've seen, experienced, and lived in. And it's centered around Jesus the King. And it's different to all other kingdoms. Let me show you a picture. This is Buckingham Palace in London. Inside this house, the current Queen of England lives. And historically, previous kings and queens, and when the queen passes away, the King of England will live there. And like many residences where kings and queens live, there are these really big gates. And I've stood on these gates. It's tourists there almost every day. And you can't get close. But you can stand there and take your selfie and that's cool. And most king or queen's houses look like this. They're really regal and they're gated. Jesus walks onto the scene, announces a different kingdom, fulfills all of the scripture that pointed to this moment where Jesus is the king. And unlike other kings and queens who are distant, who have got big gates, Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says to the children, come to me. Jesus says to the people that society has rejected because the religious kingdom had said you need to meet this grade and this standard and you need to do this. And Jesus says, come to me. Even to the people that weren't convinced what they believed. Jesus didn't ask them to have a sureness and, and, and know a certain thing. He said to the person hey, I, I, who said, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus said, come to me. Unlike every other king, this king is not standing behind big gates. Jesus is saying, come to me. And this is a different way of seeing kingdom. And this is a different kind of king. And it's this gospel, this announcement that the world needs so much now because of unrest and empire and rule. We need to see the fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus told his followers to pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. So what does this mean for you today that we pray that God's kingdom would come in your world, in your setting, in your employment, in your family, in your neighborhood. We pray because we see that the other kingdoms of the world aren't working and they're never going to work. We pray for the kingdom of God to come. And as I've said a few times, you can't have a kingdom without having a king. It's centered around Jesus. And he invites us all.
I've got something that I want to show you. Most kings have a crown. And Jesus was not unlike kings in that Jesus had a crown. Let me help the camera here. This is a crown and it's covered in thorns and uh, perhaps appropriately it, it hurts to hold. Pricks my hand. You can't have a kingdom without having a king. Jesus is the king. And unlike others who lived in palaces behind gates, he wore a crown of thorns. And he did this for you and me. He did this because our efforts were never going to be enough. Our sacrifices were never going to pay the full price because we've all missed the mark by a long way. And Jesus invites us to recognize that, that we've missed the mark. He invites us to own that, but he doesn't leave us in that moment of shame and disappointment. He offers himself. He offers his life. And the symbolism that he used was of bread and wine. And he said that his body is like the bread that's being broken for you and me. Because our efforts were never going to pay the price. And the cup, the wine, is symbolic of his blood that's going to be shed for you and me. And he wore this for you and me. Because in his kingdom announcements and fulfillment, He's the king, and he invites us to come. So we are going to recognize and celebrate and remember. And I use the word celebrate and remember at the same time because we should remember. We should come before this moment and recognize if there's anything in us that needs to be repented, needs to be brought before God and say, I'm sorry, we, we, we do that. We consider that, but we also celebrate. We celebrate that God doesn't leave us in that moment where we reflect on our shortcomings, but he saves us from ourselves, and he saves us to the Father. So I'm going to pause, and we're going to pray, and I want to encourage you, if you're watching at home and you've got your, your wine, your juice, or your bread, or whatever you're using, let's pause. I'm going to ask, I think Mike's going to, hand these out for people that are here in the room and I want you to hold it in your hand the way these work is you peel the top and there is a cracker that represents the body of Jesus and then underneath if you peel that level there is some juice that represents the blood of Jesus and we're going to pass these out and then we're going to pause and we're going to do this together disease are coming out. I am convinced that the world needs to hear the kingdom announcement that Jesus made. And it needs it in 2021 as much as it needed it in the Mark, Matthew, and Luke passage. And a little bit like the time when Jesus said it, some of the world are like, we don't need that. This kingdom's fine. We need the kingdom announcement. 
we need the kingdom to come. And it's centered around this king who's accessible for all. If you don't know this king, but you're recognizing that you've collected plenty of mistakes, then simply pray, Jesus, forgive me. And help me to know you as king. Because he invites us all. Let's pause for a moment. I want to encourage you to close your eyes. I'm holding what represents the body of Jesus in one hand and I'm holding what represents the blood in the other hand. If you can do that, why don't you why don't you hold it? And for a moment I'm going to use the phrase do business with God. Say what you need to say, pray what you need to pray. Some you may maybe some things you need to tell him you're sorry for. For others, it may be, Lord, help me to have a fresh understanding of what this means. Father, we we gratefully receive the gift that you gave your followers all those years ago who probably didn't understand it all at the time. And you didn't ask them to understand it all. You said, take this and do this in remembrance of me. So let's do that. Why don't you stand? I want us. I want us to pray. Father, thank you that you that you orchestrated that we would be alive on the face of the earth at this time. On the 21st of February 2021, the people in this room, the people online, it was your intention that we would be alive on the earth at this time. Lord, may we be faithful to proclaim a different kingdom. And Lord, may we centering not around our ideals but around you as the king 
Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. In this moment, on this piece of the earth, as it is in heaven. 